0: episode of Juicing the Numbers, Your Statistics, and Sports Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy, and of course, as you might be able to see if you are viewing this, where things get viewed, I'm without Corwin today, under the weather in a way that affected both his, I guess, energy, uh, and his voice, which is just not you good for an audio medium. Plus, fucking sleep it off. Fuck that, working while you're sick, bullshit. Even though this is fun work, fuck that shit. Do what you got to do. Nothing wrong with taking a day off, even from your fun activities, to get some get some rest when you're sick. So, big shouts to Corwin. Hope he revives a little bit. I hope to see him on the uh, the Monday episode. We'll catch up with him later. Um, this is uh, this is the Shakia Taylor episode. She she very graciously donated a lot of her time. Uh, to me today to, to talk about a whole slew of things and I uh, I did the the exact same thing I did to Max, which is that took up way too much of their time um, and still didn't get to all the things that I wanted to, to get into, but that's because of uh, who I am as a person and <laughs> that's okay it's always uh, a good excuse and good fodder for a, a future conversation to get shakia back on the show but she was wonderful insightful uh, had a lot uh, a lot to say a lot to contribute and was just a, a great great to talk to so without further ado here is my conversation with shakia Taylor.
1: Has anyone Uh, ever hit hit leave meeting on you? That makes me laugh.
0: uh, Yes. Yes. We once held uh, Max Greenfield, who um, is a very, very nice person, significantly longer than we had intended to, because it was the trade deadline conversation. Mm -hmm. And it was just so much longer than we were supposed to be talking. And he was like, I have to go. And we were like, all right, thanks for coming. And he was like, ah, thank you. And then hit like leave meeting. And we're like, oh, shit, we really hope we didn't annoy you. Um, But no one has no one has exited mid mid conversation yet okay anyway <laughs> uh so we're joined today I, we I, I got this i have to not speak in the plural today since corwin is not here Quiet. um uh, yeah sure there's, there's plenty of me uh, uh we i am joined today by a writer for baseball perspectives as well as many other publications uh, shakia taylor uh, shakia welcome welcome to the show
1: Welcome to the show. Hi, <laughs> thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, appreciate you coming on. I've been uh, I've been following you on Twitter for a long time. And I think we have recently started following each other on Instagram, which has been fun, uh, because mm-hmm. I know that you are also a plant person now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am a plant person. And I really, really contemplated gathering my plants behind me for this, and then decided that I didn't want to disturb them because they have their own lives. Um, and and didn't, but I thought about him. Um,
1: I feel like that would have been cute, though. Like, I think plants are like the new decor. People take, you know, their Instagram pictures with their plants in the background. Um, it's very hipster chic.
0: So I, uh, I think you should do it. I have to refrain from posting uh, every single new leaf that pops up in this apartment. Because I feel Do it, on Do Monday, it on Mondays. Monday, New Leaf Mondays.
1: Yes, it's a thing. Do it on Is it Mondays. really? Yeah, it's a, like check the hashtag. It's a thing.
0: All right. <laughs> well, I'm gonna have to look into it. Damn. Okay. Okay. So, uh, first of all, thank you again for for coming on. Uh, there's. I'm trying to just decide where I wanted to start this conversation because there's been a mix of things that have been happening and are currently going on that i think would make for decent topics but i also want to hear a bit about you as a writer and what your process is like um so i think actually i'm going to start there if you don't mind and i think i'm going to take it going backwards kind of chronologically Mm -hmm. Um, because i was thinking about writing topics right and you know you do a lot of stuff with, with baseball history and kind of you know getting into i know you i, I just reread your piece on uh, bob gibson today because i very much so contemplated wearing my bob gibson jersey for this because i love him um and i couldn't help but wonder when it comes to something like history when it comes to really any writing topic that you feel like you have some amount to say on it when do you ultimately decide that you're done writing that specific piece do you ever feel like you hit a conclusion point or do you feel like you have to actively stop yourself because otherwise this becomes a novella of sorts.
1: I think that a lot of times the piece stops itself. Um, I, for exa- I was writing today for, it's a good example. I was writing today, the piece um, I've been working on just for a couple of days, nothing like super research intensive. Um, and I just kind of reached a point where it was like, I don't have anything else to say and once you get there i typically then send it to an editor because it's like i've reached a natural stopping point what do you think sometimes there will be incomplete you know pieces in the piece and well, segments in the piece It just was super redundant right there. And the editor will, you know, want you to clean it up or answer a question or connect a dot that maybe you started at the top but didn't quite close at the bottom. And then that'll end up expanding a piece. But then sometimes I'll send something over and the editor will be like, well, that's it. You know, like um, Craig Goldstein at Baseball Perspectives, actually, this is such a good lesson from him is, you know, <clears throat> Don't focus on the word count, like don't force it. Sometimes you don't need a thousand words to say something. Sometimes you only need a few hundred to get to the point. And I think ultimately, you know, the piece writes itself, especially if it's inspired, if it's something like the historic pieces, obviously, I would imagine beat writing is a little differently, a little different, but like, the more lengthy feature pieces, I feel like they're, they're inspired. So there's something to tell. There's a place I wanna go or a place. Sometimes I start at the end and work my way backwards. Um, it's a thing, I enjoy it clearly. I'm like just rambling on about it right now. Um, it's, a, it's a fun experience to, ha- to be able to tell a story from whatever angle you, know, you feel is relevant.
0: And how do you how do you find that story that you're looking to tell? Obviously, with some things, there are moments that feed into the creation of an idea. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure when your article on Bob Gibson came out, but I would imagine it was sometime around when his he passing. Away. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, there there lies a moment that calls for a revisitation or some level of revisiting his history the history of that time because Mm -hmm. you also included some events from 1968 that were prior to the actual baseball season, something significantly more important than a baseball season. Um, And there's also times when I think, you know, something you, you see something in that isn't directly tied to a story that you would normally tell. Like, I know you've, I'm not sure if you are, actively working on it if you just mentioned working on a piece about um, Marcus Stroman and wearing do rags on the mound but that (laughs) I
1: am actively working on it
0: okay good I was hoping (laughs) Um, you know there's where where do you typically find your inspiration for the stories that you're looking to put down into paper and, and and expand upon
1: I gotta be honest, some of my pieces are like diss records. Like the people who they're for, they don't know that they're for them. So maybe they're more like sub tweets. But um, like a lot of times I see something happening on the timeline, or, you know, I read another person's piece and I hear like the ether voice in my head, like from the beginning of the song where he's like, FJZ, right? Like, that's that's where my mind goes like, I know you didn't just say that. I know you didn't just write that or, and and then I feel like I have to come and sort of clarify where you got it wrong. (laughs) Like, and that was the case, especially with Bob Gibson. I find that um, traditional media likes to sort of rewrite history and um, it, it happened with Henry Aaron, it just happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it, it happens it happens and I don't want to say it doesn't happen with anyone else but it happens particularly to African-American you know athletes and historic figures their their images become sort of sanitized and folks tend to forget like what actually happened because these are events of you know a hundred years ago, these are events that our grandparents were alive for. So I don't understand this whole like kind of you know rose-colored view of someone who experienced something traumatic. So that's one thing. Sometimes it's just me answering like, "No, this is what really went down." But then like with like with stro, right? Like that was just fun. Um, I um <clears throat> I remember being a teenager in the late 90s, and I remember, you know, do-rags becoming, like, a thing of coolness for a little bit, and so to see it in an MLB game was just nuts, and then from a pitcher, bonkers, and Stroh kind of has a swagger about him that makes it even more interesting than, say, anyone else doing it, right? Like, this is a guy who has a brand, and it's called Height Doesn't Measure Heart, he, like, he's like he got a lot of like, you know, something about him that I think makes the do-rag an interesting thing. So, you know, sometimes inspiration comes or the reason comes because I saw something fun. Um, and obviously the stro thing is a non-serious piece, which people aren't used to seeing from me, but I think, I think people will love it. I think it'll get a good reception.
0: I mean, I'm excited for it. <laughs> I think it's a fascinating idea and I love it. And i i i've been i've been looking because I was watching a Brewers game the other day because mm-hmm. I am currently infatuated with Freddie Peralta because um, okay. he's just so much fun to watch. And I thought I saw Devin Williams wearing a do rag too while he was in relief. Someone and
1: else messaged me that. I think what's happening is people are just going to start adding me on Twitter when they see anything that looks remotely like a do rag in a game, and I'm totally fine with that. But I want to point out that, like, sometimes what people are calling do-rags are scullies. I was going to say,
0: yeah, and that's where I wasn't sure on it, but I also had the thought of, I'm not sure I would have noticed it if Mm -hmm. you hadn't mentioned that you were going to be writing a piece about Marcus Stroman wearing one, and I think, you know, that's the impact of, even though it's relatively, relative compared to, I guess, some of your other work, more lighthearted or I don't want to say mm-hmm. less serious because representation matters in a whole slew of ways. Um, but it, you know, it's it's minor impacts on seeing how people are not, I guess, changing how they would behave otherwise due to any type of pressure and just kind of being who they are.
1: Because in, mm-hmm. in real
0: in regular, regular everyday life, walking around a city, Devin Williams wearing a do-rag is not something anyone should be looking, I mean, that's just a, a guy not wanting to fuck up his hair. <laughs> Um, exactly. and it's like, it's something you don't, it's something you don't see much in MLB games. And it's not something I'm sure yeah. I would have like so much so picked up on, if not for the fact that you said you were writing an article about it and the article hasn't even come out.
1: I know. Well, there was a little controversy about, you know, d- the do rag, uh, Bob Brenly, the Diamondbacks broadcaster made some comment, like, you know,
0: oh this know, was Tom the...
1: Seaver, do rag, yeah. And um, I, I don't really have an opinion on it. It's just kind of like, it wasn't it wasn't funny. Like I just, so I know when people say it was a joke, but it's like, if you have to say that it wasn't funny, it didn't land, maybe reconsider the joke. Maybe you're not funny. Like everything doesn't need to be a joke. And I think sometimes like particularly with things that are specific to a person's culture, just don't make the joke. If you're not mm-hmm. a part of that group, don't make the joke and you don't have to worry about putting your foot in your mouth. So, but I, I like, I'm not writing about that, thankfully. I'm, I actually hopefully have kept that completely out of the piece entirely because I wanted it to be fun. You know, right. like let's let's talk about wins, losses and do rags. What do rag color, you know, does Stroh pitch best in? Which one is his worst? Which one should he wear? You know, like there's a lot of fun and in, just involved in that. And, you know, the do rag has a cape and you saw my tweets and I was referring to him as a black superhero because of the tucked under cape. Um, yeah, <laughs> just went off there about rags, you know.
0: Yeah, but you know that that's part of the idea of representation in media. It's not an article that that has been written before, and is mm-hmm. a reason that we were getting announced because we got someone who's going to pick up on that shit and yep. put it down to paper. That's the, that's the whole idea, you know. Mm-hmm. You ever where do you feel as though you you feel the biggest gap or the biggest largest amount of representation for you as a baseball fan comes up in in media? You know, uh, there's not a lot of black women that write about sports in general, um, and baseball in particular, because it is such a stodgy old white sport. Mm-hmm. Um, so, where do you feel as though you fall in? Like, where where do you, did you have anybody growing up that you felt represented you, or was there someone that you're looking to to kind of write articles for?
1: Um. Well, first, you know, as a black woman who is writing about baseball kind of as a a career now, I cannot not mention the incomparable Claire Smith, right? Like she was the first to ever do it. And um, so like massive influence. I actually wrote something like to her for last year's Women in Baseball Conference um, because I felt like paying homage to her was super important. And then I think growing up watching sports, I don't even think I thought about too much with regard to representation because of the time in which I grew up. You know what I mean? Like we're talking about, I started watching baseball in the early nineties. So there was hella black people. (laughs) Like um, there was no question of, is this game one I'm gonna watch? No one was telling me, you know, why are you watching baseball? You know, like that just didn't happen because there were fun Black Americans in the game. And I no, you know, I I wasn't even thinking because I got to enjoy it all now as an adult. And, you know, it's it's different. Um, It's getting better. It's changing a little bit. I would say um, now that there's been sort of a hyper focus on you know, inclusion, I think, you know, things will start to move a little bit maybe at like a glacial pace, but things will start to move. But I I want like people to not focus so much on diversity and focus on the inclusion part. Cause like once you get the diversity you can't make those people feel unwelcome. You Mm -hmm. can't, you know, continue with the same behavior. And I think that's kind of where things are getting a little foggy lately. It's like, hey, we want diversity, but we're not going to include you. And you know, I think the focus just starts to shift to inclusion. Like, what are you doing to make the space comfortable? Um, what are you doing to show that folks are welcome and that certain behaviors are unwelcome? That's kind of where you know I think in all things, um, we as humans kind of kind of fail we want everybody to be a part, but then nobody wants to be the person that kicks out shitty people, but we have to. (laughs) Like, we kind of have to. And um, the culture around Major League Baseball fandom is that. Like, the good people are going to have to start excommunicating the shitty folks in order for that diversity to be inclusion.
0: Yeah, I I think when it comes to... The idea of include a lot of it is not so much. Well, not honestly, not so much, but there, there is a difference between needing to bring people in and needing to understand why those people aren't coming in naturally. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes the reason people aren't coming in on their own is because whatever in is fucking sucks for them. (laughs) Yeah. Like no one wants to walk into even on a in, a in a casual sense no one walks wants to walk into a bar that's playing bad music because you're going to walk into that bar and be like this sucks this yes. is awful music surrounded by people that love it that hey guess what i fucking hate country
1: i'm not going to walk <laughs> into the
0: country bar that's not my people and if they yes. want me to walk into the bar they don't have to convince me that country's awesome they might have to change the music mm-hmm. and you know that that uh, and applies, to, I think, to a lot more serious instances than just country bars. But uh, that's often the case. It, you know, you're right. It's if you employ bad people and you bring bad people into the stands and you have bad people playing for your team, you're going to get more bad people. And then good people, yep. they don't, don't want to be there.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: So, so, getting a little bit more, I guess, uh, into what got you here? Well, what got you into, what got you into baseball? Where, where, where did that come from? Cause I feel like with baseball, especially people tend to have a thing that brought them in. <laughs> you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Um, I got into baseball because my family relocated from North Carolina to Ohio. And that was in 1993, which was a pretty good entry point to, um, the baseball team in Cleveland and um yeah it was a good way to make friends when you're you know 10 11 years old moving to a completely different state and I mean obviously like we visited you know we have family in Ohio but we didn't live there so it was it was different I mean I went from where people say soda to where people say pop and um <laughs> you converted
0: or are you still a soda person
1: I still say soda okay um but you know baseball was the basis of friendship for me for a lot of a lot of my youth right like I, playing, a lot of my friends, watching all of it um mostly watching i tried playing very briefly um one of my cousins <laughs> taught me how to catch and i ended up being really good um and so i played for like a summer and then I would play for fun, you know, in college, if friends wanted to, you know, play in like a pizza and beer, you know, league or something like that. But otherwise, um, I don't know. I got out of sports as like an athlete at a probably like 15, 16. It was like, I don't want to, I don't like to be sweaty. So um, it's nice to <laughs> enjoy it from this side.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I hated running. And I, I mean, I still hate running, but I, I ended up quitting several sports when I was like a very young kid because I love playing. I hated running. And you know what? When you're like 10, 11 years old, you can't just look at a grown up and be like, I'm not running. Like, I know you said to keep playing basketball, I got to do all this running, but I, I don't want to do the running because they're going to look at you and be like, you're, you're 10, do it or leave. And I left.
1: That's so funny. I ran track, and I'll never oh, God forget,
0: bless
1: you. I ran the four hundred in less than a minute, and um, so I didn't love running, but I wasn't too bad at it.
0: Yeah, I uh, even <laughs> honestly, even even today, you know, because I, I think everyone went through the pandemic when was like, all right, what do I, what do I got to do to fix the mistakes I made in the last eighteen months? And running, running was not even on the table for me. And you know what's crazy? I so I'm I'm 26. I'm not old. I'm not old at all. And I know it. I am. But uh stop it. Get out of here. I I don't even want to hear it. No, you're not. Um, but so I, I tried running uh sometime just pre-pandemic, like just pre-pandemic, and my knee started to hurt. And I go to the, the orthopedist and he was like, Oh yeah, like your 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 knee is pre-arthritic. And I was like, What the fuck? Are you talking about I don't how how and he's like probably from lack of movement now he's like you just got fucked (laughs) oh yeah yeah it's just the way it is and it's It's like you know what I would have never found out about this if I didn't run I should have just never run and now I gotta just live with the fact I was like what do I do he was like nothing (laughs) it's like damn it oh this is this is a terrible way to continue going through life but hey you just gotta rock and roll with it I guess
1: well, now you no. have an excuse for not running.
0: That—that that is my built-in excuse, and it's also <laughs> my excuse for not hiking because I don't understand all that outdoorsy stuff. I—I mm. um, I, I like being bug-free. I don't—I don't need the bugs.
1: At the um, in the early, I guess, ish parts of the pandemic, since we're still in it, uh, July of last year, I uh, sprained my ankle pretty badly doing pretty much nothing.
0: Ooh, how's it, how's it, how's it recovered?
1: Well, I'm old, so I feel like I still, I still feel it a little bit, Um, but it's not, I don't know. I can walk. It's, it's, it was, it was bad. I'm talking like my toes were purple. My foot was like this big. It was gigantic. There were like (sighs) dark lines on my ankle that I thought I had broken it, you know? Um, and it turned out that it was just sprained beyond and, um, after the first 72 hours, I went to get it looked at and the doctor at the urgent care was like, it's by the grace of God that your ankle isn't broken. And I was like, well, that's good. He's like, you got some strong bones. Um, and I ended up just needing to wear like one of those, like, um, I don't know. It's like an ACE bandage, but it laces up. So it's kind of sturdy. I had to wear one of those for eight weeks um, and the bruising, it went away. This is how things happen for me. I slipped and fell after like an ice situation here in Chicago, um, maybe like 2014 and I broke my arm in two places, but it was non-displaced. So like the bones were still sitting next to each other. And so all I had to do was just wear it, you know, just, like wrapped it in a sling for two months and it was fine. Like I do stuff, but I do it just enough.
0: <laughs> oh no, I hate, I, I, oh God, I, I'm, I know I could never be a doctor because I, I hate, I hate You're hearing English. that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I am. I am, I'm such a wuss when it comes to any of that <laughs> stuff. Oh my God. I, uh, no, absolutely not. I thought I
1: was doing pretty good at not giving too much of a description.
0: <laughs> oh no, I am I am just a huge baby when it when it when it goes like oh my yeah no no I'm I'm good. Uh, did, so did did being I guess more bedridden or more house written than the standard pandemic person would be did that affect your approach to writing at all? Did you end up writing more or less or did it vary your sense of perspective at all well I was
1: I was definitely one of those folks last year and I kind of still am to be quite honest who just was like I'm gonna stay in the house I'm gonna stay away from people so um messing up my ankle was kind of a blessing because then I didn't have to worry about anyone asking me to do anything because I couldn't go anywhere and I live on the third floor of a walk-up and anyone who lives in a city knows that you're not walking down those stairs or up those stairs unless you absolutely are ready to, you know. So um, it it didn't affect writing, I would say. It was, I think, more of the world affected my writing than, you know, being immobile. Um, being immobile does mean that you have to sit with your thoughts, though. There aren't too many things that you can do to distract yourself. And, you know, I played you know, Nintendo Switch, a ton, when I was stuck on the couch with my leg propped up day in and day out. Um, but it didn't affect writing. I would, did it, I would. I think it actually made me lazier.
0: I was gonna ask: Did it give you? Did you do more reading, or did that, which is I think everyone who reads, constant battle to maintain their schedule of reading? Um, did it? Did it not help the cause for reading?
1: Nah. So along with the pandemic, went my focus. Like, I can start a book, I can get a good halfway through it, and then suddenly it'll be like, oh, what's happening over there? And um, and then I'll have to come back to it later. Um, I would say my thing, when my ankle was messed up, that is still a thing, is watching Law & Order reruns, And I mean all of them, not just SVU. Criminal Intent. OG Law and Order, Law and Order UK. Like, I'm t- I didn't I even know there was the- a UK. If I turn on the TV and Law and Order isn't on the channel that I left the TV on, I can find it on another channel, and it's it's bad. Like, it's bad.
0: <laughs> I understand, but at the same time, when I you know, hearing something so familiar as you know like reruns or whatever has a very comforting feeling which i think at the past two years we've all needed so yeah yeah law I, and I, order
1: I, and baseball that's,
0: that's and what baseball's like. got great sounds
1: hey I, I started a twitter thread with baseball references in law and order episodes um to kind of marry the two that's been my my pandemic thing that
0: I mean that is a significantly more productive use of your time than I think anything that I've done this pandemic has been. So hats off to you for that. Uh, so to get a little bit more back into into your mm-hmm. writing, as we've taken ourselves a nice little tangent. So, you know, you're 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 watching baseball. You try playing it a little bit. How did you end up actually getting into writing it? Where did the desire to be like I? Because you know, you write when you feel something needs to get out. I, I've got this in me. It can't be in just me. I I've, I've got to put it other places. So what, what led to such a strong feeling or such an urge that you ended up actually being like, all right, here, here we go. I got to do this.
1: Well, I started writing for fun. Like I wrote all the time as a kid, never really thought it would be a thing for me.
0: Um, Like fiction or
1: whatever whatever I mean I've said this a million times now I've written my own like origin story it's not a real thing I wrote it as if I was like a marvel superhero um (laughs) and there's lots of like you know thunder and lightning and you know lots of insanity um but I started writing as a kid and writing is kind of a joyous thing for me and I entered in writing competitions you know, as a teenager and won some. And there's this event that was held every year by Youngstown State University called the English Festival. And I would participate in that and you know, win. And um, so writing has always just kind of been a thing that I enjoy doing and researching. And you know, I participated in this event called History Day, which is basically just incentivizing young kids to research and write a paper basically, you know, on theme. So it's always kind of been there for me. And the baseball thing happened because um, I decided I was going to start a blog. I was like, there are no young Black women talking about baseball. I'm going to start a blog. And I, and I did. And I ended up uh, unemployed for a little bit. So I was able to go on the road to a couple of games in different places and I was able to you know get out and meet people um because the one thing they don't tell you with baseball is because so many games are played during the day you gotta have free time for that like you you gotta be able unless you root for a team that plays at night a lot you know um but so I was able to kind of indulge in day games and meeting people, you know, for drinks or, you know, food or whatever for games. And it just took off from there. Folks were interested. I wouldn't say I'm like the most interesting person um, on social media, but I think I'm different than what was previously available with regard to the sport and people, you know, they like that. They like that I'm myself, I'm always the same person.
0: So so your earlier stuff, was it more just like Shakia's thoughts on on the the game, like on-field game itself. Was it uh, personnel driven, you know, like here's who's playing for the Cubs and what I think about them or, you know, what was like was the subject everything. matter?
1: It was kind of everything. Like um, I particularly liked pitching matchups. So occasionally, you know, I would go to a game and I would post about, you know, the pitching matchup. Um, Or I might go to a game and I might comment on like what's happening in the stands. I remember at one point I had a very like lengthy thread of like what not to do at a baseball game just for fun. And it was things like, you know, if the ball is moving, sit down. Mm -hmm. Um, you, You don't have to walk to the end of the aisle for your beer. People will pass it to you. Like that's, you know, like just stuff like that. Or I went to a game once and, um, a woman her baby was like fascinated with my friend and I and obviously this is pre-pandemic and my friend just puts her arms out and this baby comes from the row in front of us into her arms and just sits with us for the game and the mom is like okay he looks fine to me <laughs> she's like throwing them back like um I wrote about stuff like that I you know just anything surrounding the game I wrote about it and I think you know, having a fresh perspective, it was, it was popular. Hey, look at this girl. She's seeing it in a different light or through new eyes or whatever.
0: Yeah. Was, uh, was there a specific article or or blog post or anything where you looked at it and you were like, this is so good. Or I feel so strongly about this, uh, Quality of work, pride, what, what, what have you? I am I. This is going to be my career. I have to I have to make this work. Did nope. you have a, a, an article like that or a moment? Nope,
1: uh, nope. It's actually far less magical and way more practical than that. Like, lay it on me. Um, An editor who followed me on Twitter just was like, "Hey, would you be interested in writing?" <laughs> like it doesn't pay much to start but you've got a great voice and you know you can see where it goes from there and i said okay like it was really just super practical someone saw me like what i was doing thought i could contribute more
0: gave me a shot and from there it just kind of
1: rolled very quickly
0: have you have you had any of those kind of articles since then though during your career where you were like this like is there any piece of work of yours that you've you've revisited for whatever reason
1: uh, baseball and jazz I've actually recently revisited it and I was very interested in you know I feel like there's more to it I I can't help but feel like there's something like I left something on the table with that one. Um, not necessarily that there's more to that specific and exact story, but there is a tangent there. There is something that I could kind of take off on Um, because it's an interesting, like, I don't know if you've read that one. It's really long or at least it felt really long to write but um, it's on Baseball Perspective. It's literally Mm -hmm. just titled Baseball and Jazz. It's not the one about jazz chisel. It's the one I link to in the one about jazz. And um, I just like draw a line through history, connecting the word jazz and the history of the genre to baseball. And it's, it's real cool. Um, But in it, I learned that Louis Armstrong had a barnstorming baseball team called the Secret Nine, and no one knows their names. There is like a very popular picture of them floating around. It's actually in my piece, um, but no one knows their names. There is another historian who actually went digging to try to find out these guys' names, and he only found one person because uh, the person, obviously they passed away, but their, um, their family recognized him from photos that they had and they had lost most of their pictures in a hurricane, but somehow had just like one memento or two or three things that they were able to compare. So anyway, so there's that's one out of nine. So there's eight other players who are unidentified And I just keep thinking about that. Like, why, why, why is it a secret? Like, what was their identity? Why was it kept a secret? You know, were they musicians? Were they in the military? Were they, you know, like there's just so many ways I could go, I may never find the answer or someone may pay me a ton of money to go to New Orleans and spend some time digging. And the and the story could be the digging. Like, it doesn't necessarily have to be that I find something, but man, I would love to find something.
0: I this just- is, This is the Plough National Treasure 3. Let's do it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Hit me up, Nicholas Cage. Um, I do, I just, I don't know, but like there's something compelling there. Like there's something alluring. It's pulling me to want to go to Louisiana. And I mean, worst case scenario, there's a really good fictional story that I could pull from the situation, you know? Because who wouldn't want to read a great story that happens, you know, in New Orleans with jazz and, you know, maybe a band and a baseball game and maybe there's a murder mystery, I don't know. But that's the one, baseball and jazz. If you haven't read it and you do read it, let me know what you think.
0: I will have to, because I, I did confuse it at first for the jazz we got the (laughs) article which i have read i have to i i got to go back and now read the baseball and jazz article especially because i grew up in a very jazz household okay i love jazz and my grandfather who's played in the same orchestra for the past 45 years has very strong opinions on jazz and it's led to me experiencing jazz that and growing up with the um Oh my god! I'm forgetting his name. The goddamn guy who makes seemingly every ten-part documentary series that's ever been on PBS. Uh, Ken, <laughs> Ken
1: Burns. Ken Burns. Thank you, <laughs> Jesus.
0: Him and and his ten-part uh, series on jazz really shaped how how I view it. Because my grandfather, and I don't I don't know which type of jazz or which era of jazz, um, if you listen to it at all, you you grew up with or resonate the most with. My grandfather hated Frank Sinatra. Well, still, he's alive. My, my grandfather hates Frank Sinatra, and my grandfather hates Frank Sinatra because he thinks it's the most soulless version of jazz, and that it's not what jazz is about. And Frank Sinatra was a pop star who just sang jazz, whereas yeah, I there was Sinatra to be jazz. I'm with right, grandpa. but he, you know, but he Sinatra gets lumped in with a lot of those, you know, like jazz greats. And while there is a historical through line because of the linear progression of time. From Billie Holiday to Frank Sinatra, there's no spiritual through line. And really, Frank Sinatra is a guy who heard other people sing, took their songs, he's never wrote anything, and would just make almost mass-produced jazz-like, it's the Domino's Pizza of jazz. You know, <laughs> it's, it's like jazz, but is it? Um, <laughs> and... It's, it's been that that has shaped a lot of how I view those types of differences in addition to the Ken Burns documentary, which really hammers home the point in like the first episode about how the racial disparities within jazz and how much I felt as though it could also be connected to baseball, which also makes sense because Ken Burns made a 10-part baseball documentary. And you know, one of the big things with it was in that first episode or two where he talks about how black jazz musicians weren't allowed to get the sheet music for any of their shows because the white musicians didn't think that they could read music. And so they forced all the jazz, the black jazz musicians to learn all the songs in secret after away from the white jazz musicians, because they wouldn't show them any of the stuff. They had to find out from somebody else who knew the songs and then go into play. And then all the musicians go, well, they're not getting the sheet music because they can't read it. And, they're so naturally talented. They don't even need the sheet music. They don't even need the, the the progression of how we're going to be running this six minute long nonsensical piece because jazz is very, very hard theoretically in addition to practically. And I think a lot of that concept also you see a lot with athleticism. A lot of it's like, oh, well, you know, He's, he's black. He must be stealing a bunch of bases. Why isn't he, he must be faster than your average person. And it's, I think the two inform each other very well because of their equally rocky histories with how they treat things and how much in the years since the bodies that be that kind of dictate how we view the past view them less segregationing and more like oh they came together eventually don't ask how they why they weren't together in the first place no one knows lost a time uh but they came together and worked as a team um just also happened to be around the late 1940s don't ask why uh, <laughs> and it's that part of it that i think you know uh it i think has that very shitty overlap to it but actually Speaking, oh, hold on. I have to go down back to my questions. I am also notorious for having 9,000 tabs open and we'll have to navigate back. So sorry about that. Um, (laughs) Speaking of one of the other points that I saw you raise uh, on Twitter the other day that uh, has has never once left my mind and I actually saw it happen in real time and knew you were going to respond to it because because of it was the fact that Jackie Robinson needs to stop being invoked the name therein Uh, every single time there is a point about race made in baseball. Doesn't matter
1: what's happening.
0: Oh my God. And I forget the context of, it was like very, I think it was like literally this past week that someone had, had done it and I saw that you responded to it. And I was like, I, I knew she would because, uh, I now can't unsee this?
1: It is the laziest fucking thing in the world.
0: Well, Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing is it's not that it necessarily is wrong to use a catch-all expression in a limited like um, character format but it is lazy and very disrespectful to one Jackie and two the fact that there were so many people but it's so many things and it's not just Jackie and he shouldn't have to his name shouldn't have to bear every racial incident that MLB goes through as a result of its own stupidity and vileness that his his name has to be tied to it as a carte blanche symbol of virtue that he doesn't have to be. And it's frustrating now to have to witness that. And I, I thank you for the education and I'm also mildly annoyed <laughs> that now I have to be annoyed about
1: that. Well, it's also like, I said this that one earlier, but I look at a lot of things like that, but just look at it from its simplest, simplest form at its simplest level, right? And the question that I'm going to ask you, (laughs) you're going to laugh. But my thought when I saw that was, what does Jackie Robinson have to do with Barstool? Like that was, and if, if someone can ask you that and you cannot draw a direct line, don't mention him. (laughs) Like just leave it alone. Let him rest in peace. Like Mm -hmm. that is, I, I wrote a piece last summer called Dear Jackie. And Everyone took it as, I mean, I love that people love it. I love that people felt things from it Um, because it was saying something, but what people were missing was that I was taking all of the things that people sort of falsify about Jackie Robinson and flipping it, like flipping it. I was referencing things that he said, like, um, I posted a picture of a PDF on my Instagram when uh, George Floyd was murdered. And it was just the top of Jackie Robinson's column. And it said, Jackie Robinson says, watch that cop brutality. So it's, so, so when, when you see like the Dodgers release these statements that are like, you know, Jackie would have wanted a peaceful protest, go to hell go to hell you're making things up and that's what bothers me the weaponizing of heroes against their own community it's it's a tragedy i hate it so much and i'm not sorry that you're now going to be annoyed by it every time you see it because the more of us who are we can say something and you know i i was pretty polite the other day i wasn't trying to be mean or anything but i definitely was like this doesn't have anything to do with jackie let's let's let jackie rest
0: yeah there there is there is an un very unhelpful like politicizing of a lot of people's history
1: that mm-hmm. does
0: absolutely no one uh, any type of service and it applies to basically everyone who ever actually fought for something. And it happens most often, I think, at least in in popular media to historically black figures, because it is in response to something else. You know, it is like, like the Dodger statement. Oh, don't be violent because that guy didn't want you to be violent. <laughs> and um, we're just going to pick some statements here and there. And, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ignore some of the other stuff um, or how they were perceived at the time. Like Martin Luther King Jr., this happens to him all the time. And he was derided in his era for having violent protests, because oftentimes when he would have a protest, which he always wanted to have nonviolent ones, things would get violent because of the police. And he was heavily criticized and derided by public media at the time because whether or not he intended for his protests to be violent or nonviolent, he always preached nonviolence, they would inevitably get violent due to the actions of somebody else, usually mm-hmm. the white people and the police. And so holding him up as the bastion of don't do that doesn't really work because it didn't apply then and it doesn't apply now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a complete mischaracterization of both past events and present ones for an agenda, whether you think you have an agenda or not. And that's the part that is just oh so shitty because there's going to be a kid who doesn't know that and is going to go, yeah, yeah, no, Martin Luther King Jr. Oh, my, man, he, he no nothing. He stopped violence everywhere he went. He was it <laughs> was floating on his feet, never touched the ground. Best guy ever stopped. He turned guns into, into, into flowers and everyone loved him at the time. And the fact he was murdered was was like totally accidental. And it, it's no, people have complex pasts. People have complex histories and people fought for a lot of things that they might not seem they did because, well, does MLB want you to think that Jackie Robinson was a revolutionary? Is that what they want? I don't I no, don't I think MLB totally wants people. you to wants you to think that. Right. right. Um,
1: I think um, with anything like that, this is kind of the positive of social media, right? We get to tell what's really real. Martin Luther King Jr., his daughter is the person telling the truth now. Same with Jackie Robinson. His daughter is now in charge of making sure that you know, who her father really was is what we know and not what, you know, MLB's savior complex wants us to think. <laughs>
0: and, you know, to, 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 I guess, pivot a little bit into a conversation on MLB, which is always a fun topic that I think no one ever complains about. Um, <laughs> it's, it astonishes me. And it's something that that my co-host Corinne and I've talked about on this podcast a lot. It astonishes me why they won't grapple with their past mm. and their awful history with uh, segregation and generally just racism and being awful. Because if Rob Manford came out, when uh, they, why, why they think they have the power is a different question. But why, when, when they uh, quote unquote elevated the, the Negro Leagues to a major league, which again, power dynamics be damned. Um, They'll just move on from that for a moment. Why they couldn't come out and say something to the effect of, um, we suppressed an entire segment of the population into feeling as though their only action to continue to play baseball was to form their own league. And we are going, we can't change that, but we can make sure that their stories are better represented and more accessible by using our resources to put them on uh, pages and in books and in places where all of the other major league players from that era also are to try to bring that history to the people, because we did that and we prevented it. And if they did that, I don't think anyone's going to look at Rob Manfred and say, you did that. You know, no one's going to look at Rob Manfred and say, are you still Kennesaw Mountain Landis? Is that, is that you? (laughs) everyone's going to understand that it was an organization that is still existent today and holds the weight of those choices. I don't want to say errors because that sounds too passive. Choices to do horrible things, but that you can also usher in a new era without anyone assigning that blame specifically to you, Rob Manfred, or whomever within the front office. And be able to actually do something productive and use the active voice because it was still your organization. I, I, I think people would be smart enough and care enough to hear that level of understanding from them that they just will never, they don't, just don't give. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like,
1: I think, I think if, if a statement like that were to come out, I think people who are super resistant a lot of them would end up just being okay with it because they carry water for rich people and the rich people are right to them. So (laughs) if we can get, you know, something like that to get them on track, then why not? It would be great, but it won't happen. Like you said.
0: Yeah. uh, (laughs) You know, it, it's, it's, it's very, it's very frustrating because I don't think, MLB is in such a position to do the right thing almost constantly, and they always choose not to. And they act, I would imagine it's out of fear for money or um, a continued desire to be bad morally Mm -hmm. um, under the guise of losing potential money, alienating an old white fan base, what have you. And I think, if anything, acknowledging the time around integration we should also recognize to you that well after MLB integrated I don't think they hurt financially I I think they did just fine I'm sure if there was any old grumpy white guys that didn't want to watch African-American ball players play ball and left I don't think they did because their baseball teams all of a sudden got really good and at the end of the day a lot of those threats are empty threats that mean nothing because I watched baseball yesterday. I'm going to watch it tomorrow. And that's, mm-hmm. I think, the thought most people, most of these assholes are going to have. And I don't think MLB <laughs> costs themselves anything by like doing the right thing. I think literally has a net cost that is positive. I don't think there's a single negative to it because these people, where else are they going to go?
1: I thought they 2020 would have been World a good season to uh, make radical change because there was no one to complain about you know, I'm not coming, you can't come anyway. They could have done so much in the 2020 season with no fans in the stands. Because, and by the time people are able to come and complain about it, they don't remember what they're complaining about anyway, because it's been over a year since they've been able to get to a game. They weren't thinking, they weren't thinking. They could have taken advantage of that, like big time.
0: Oh, I, I, I choose to believe that they made a conscious choice to do all this. I, I refuse to believe that a, a room full of people with that much um, educational background refused, didn't, didn't consider it.
1: <laughs> I, I,
0: I think that's being far too too kind to them.
1: I mean, I don't, I don't mean, I'm not saying they didn't, I'm just saying it was a missed opportunity. Oh, like whether they did or didn't, just completely missed
0: the opportunity. Well, and they have missed opportunities with with that type of stuff all all the the all the time. You know, uh, like uh, it's 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 so tough. I hate bringing up shitty people, but you know, I my host and I talked um, when Trevor Bauer ultimately ended up hitting the administrative leave list, whatever they call it, the commissioner's list. I don't. I don't recall, about how that's an opportunity to educate young or even middle-aged straight white men about consent, because it might be something that there is a genuine gap in knowledge in. There mm-hmm. might be actually an opportunity for, because your, your viewer base is very male and it's very white. And mm-hmm. this is maybe a lesson they just never got. Let's take a genuine True, not shitty perspective on it. It's actually ignorant in a in a non-vicious way. And they don't understand that there are lines that literally just can't be crossed and that consent can change over the course of an interaction, what have you. And instead, it just kind of left. And we just get an update from like Jeff Passen or John Heyman every seven days, letting us know that the administrative leave has been extended another seven days. And, you know, that's, I I guess it's not harming anybody actively, but it's also not helping a situation that you actually have a real opportunity to put out statements and give an education on to people who might not understand that, like, look, she said yes, when you started, when she walked in the door and she can say no, or even be less enthused at any time. And that is a loss of consent in that moment and really make a point out of it. And they, they just choose not to, And. Mm -hmm. I have to think because it seems so obvious to myself and and to to my co-host that that they don't want the attention on it for whatever reason that is, they think it looks bad. They don't like that some parts of their organization are icky. It might offend some people who are in an organization because otherwise they could do good. They could really do good. That's Mm -hmm. part of uh, I think like a health class that, I don't think it was a part of my health class when I was a kid that that could change a life and they just choose not to do it. It's, ah, no, nah, I, I knew this would be a fun one. Love talking about MLB.
1: <laughs>
0: Always a good source of conversation. So another thing I'd, I'd like to be grumpy and complain about in regards to MLB because I want to hear what what you think this episode is coming out actually tomorrow. I'm not sure if I actually mentioned that. Um, So it'll be out uh, August 12th. And that will be the uh, field of dreams game where the Mm -hmm. New York Yankees will be taking on the Chicago white Sox in Iowa uh, at the actual farm that the field of dreams field was constructed for the movie field of dreams. Mm -hmm. What do you think? about this entire ordeal?
1: Um, well, the, the youth game, which I have on, um, was uh, delayed for a storm to pass. And with the way the weather has been, <laughs> it's possible they may not play tomorrow if it storms the way it's supposed to. However, that being said, um I I find it interesting that this game is happening mostly because the Field of Dreams, the movie, had sort of moved out of pop culture. Like, it's not a movie a lot of people have seen anymore. It's not a very like, relevant
0: thing to do 25 years ago, yes.
1: Right. It's it's like, okay, all right, cool. And then the other part is it's not a very good movie. Like most people who remember it don't remember it well. Like they just remember the things that made it into pop culture. Um, that aside, um, I thought, you know, them going to those throwback jerseys was cool. Um, I, you know, there were no black baseball players in Field of Dreams. So would like to see that addressed, <laughs> maybe. Um, Also, you know, I'm actually looking forward to Sox-Yankees. The Sox are kind of up and down since the All-Star break. Um, You know, today's game, they lost a one-run game, like literally 1-0 to the Twins. They lost yesterday to the Twins. They can't seem to put Cleveland away all the time. Um, So it's like, if you're not good against good teams and you're not great against bad teams, then what do we expect? And, I, you know, I've seen a lot of, you know, the Sox are back to 100% almost. And it's like, okay, great. But somebody has to not only hit but get on base and then make it home. And this isn't happening. Like, I've watched a couple of games where they've stranded, you know, bases loaded. What are you doing? You have to knock somebody home um and the Yankees on the other side having some struggles I honestly was not expecting the Yankees to struggle the way they have been this season and yet they're still in it in in true Yankee fashion right just when you think that you're not gonna have to look at them here they come um so I I can't even say who I think is gonna win because it could go either way at any point it just depends like which which team luck seems to favor um, tomorrow. But I, I'm gonna watch. I think it's cool. Um, I do think it sucks that I, it's in an area where games are usually blacked out, which is kind of shitty. And I also think it sucks that I understand extremely limited ticket availability. And I know that most of it went to celebrities and media, mm-hmm. but. There had there should have been some sort of effort and there should always be some sort of effort to make sporting events affordable for the people who live near it. Like at minimum, the least you can do is make it so that, you know, communities can come and children can come. And I'm sure people in Dyersville are included, but I mean that, like generally, there are people from Illinois who drove down. You know, I imagine people from Indiana probably popped over. It just wasn't a, for it to be such an event, it wasn't affordable. But it looks like they're doing it again next year, so.
0: Yeah, I saw it was the Cubs and it was Cubs somebody, right?
1: Yeah, I didn't see who the other team was yet, but I did see that it was the Cubs and I saw uh, the Cardinals Cardinals. want to be it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Mm it is
0: it is shitty in regards to the tickets (laughs) that they, like, Um, you know, Cannes Film Festival in France, second second biggest, I guess, in, uh, independent film festival next to um, Sundance. Uh, they, uh, I, I looked into going one year, just out of curiosity. I, I didn't really have any intention. I just wanted to know what it took. Uh, and the film festival takes place in the town of Cannes, France. And to avoid having a gigantic influx of people into what is like a very small not very, but like a small-ish provincial town, they don't sell tickets, so you you can't kind of just go. Yeah. But what they do is that they let the locals go to all the shows. I mean, they have to like pay for like a pass or some shit to actually do it. But if you live mm-hmm. in Con France, like you can just you can you can you can go because you're in the area. And if anything, we're inconveniencing you by doing this year. And I don't think it would be very hard to do that in the field of dreams game, something local to um, Iowa. I I don't, I can't imagine that'd be horribly difficult to actually accomplish. I mean, if, if, if it requires proof of address, so does getting like a fucking library card. So (laughs) I think if the public library system can figure it out, MLB can figure it out. Right. Uh, Doesn't seem like it'd be very challenging, but regardless, I, I think my biggest issue with it is symbolic because This is MLB's biggest, clearest way that they can draw attention to a topic, a medium, and a location is playing a game. I mean, that's what people tune in for, you know, and baseball has attempted to grow itself by playing in a bunch of various regions. You know, there's all types of stories written about how – MLB stars going over to Japan, grew the game so much down there. Negro League stars growing the game into Latin, in Latin America that led to so much uh, popularity of the game in Latin America. Uh, and focusing your attention on where your game is being played obviously yields to people paying attention to why you're doing it. And in this instance, because mm-hmm. it's some stupid fucking movie that it's funny you mentioned the whole rewatch thing. I rewatched it a couple of years ago, having not seen it since I was a kid. And th- remembering to myself, this is a great movie. I love this movie, right? Oh my God, it's awful. And you really just remember like the last 10, 15 minutes when all the ghosts <laughs> come out of the cornfield and they play a baseball game. And it takes like an hour and 50 minutes to get there or some shit. And you're like, oh my God, it's just Kevin Costner driving for like an hour and a half. <laughs> and then I- everyone's white. <laughs> and. Yep. And I, I don't, it, if MLB did stuff like this consistently across a board to make a point of something, I think I'd be okay with this game more because it's lighthearted and goofy and not everything needs to be serious and sure, why not? Uh, but it's the fact that they clearly recognize that there is an advantage in doing this to raise attention to a thing that happened 25 years ago and that people have some... Fondness for for whatever reason, and you could do that with other stuff that matters more too. Like there's nothing preventing you from doing games at fields of former Negro League teams, or mm-hmm. doing them at fields of former minor league teams, or current minor league teams even that are in remote areas where people so that people who live in I don't know Montana don't have to drive like 16 hours to go see. I guess the Rockies would probably be the closest, uh, or maybe California. I don't know. But you know, there, there's reasons that you could play games in non MLB stadiums that I think would actually be interesting, impactful, and fun that aren't just one of the like half dozen movies from the '90s about baseball that like all kind of suck um, and just has a novelty value instead of something a little bit more impactful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it in the spirit of MLB and missed opportunities, it feels like a missed opportunity. <laughs>
1: No, no, I mean, they could do so much, so, so much, and choose to do so little, they have so much capital, like, I think the people in the southeast, who are not in, you know, Atlanta, or Florida, would like to watch a baseball game in person, you know, Um, they're not growing Is in like expanding the game. They're more growing and expanding their capital.
0: Well, yeah, it feels like the most. If baseball's demographic is old white people, Mm -hmm. then the field of Dream Games is exactly what they want. Because if your entire existence is predicated around. Um, nostalgia and whiteness, then you must love the field of dreams. I mean that is, that is on the nose for you. you know it is a movie that is, yeah. it is at this point it is a nostalgic movie about nostalgia and being white. and also James Earl Jones is there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it, it, you're right. like if you wanted who who are you growing? What audience are you achieving that you did not have prior by doing this? that's part of the problem. Yeah. Cause you know, if they played a game in Alabama, I mean, and obviously Alabama, a huge sports state, their mm-hmm. college athletes are treated like Kings because it's the biggest sport there. There's not a lot of other main sports that are played in Alabama. If MLB was to go down and play a game in Alabama, I bet it would be packed. They're not near anything to go to. It yep. is How long of a drive is it from Alabama to Georgia? I have no idea. I bet it's a very fucking long drive. I don't think it's too,
1: too bad.
0: I I live in the Northeast. Anything longer than an hour is a long drive for me.
1: Oh, see, it would take that long to get across town in Chicago. Um, I'm actually going to look this up. Where in Alabama? Let's say Birmingham.
0: Yeah, that sounds right. That's one of the two towns I know.
1: (laughs) I have a friend from there.
0: Say Birmingham and Mobile, I think, are the only towns I could name to you offhand.
1: It's two hours from Birmingham to
0: Atlanta. Wait, it's that close? Yeah. I was like, wait,
1: I don't think it's that far. Yeah, in my mind 12 minutes.
0: In my mind. That is that that was that was six hours. (laughs) I'm awful with geography. Did you grow up (laughs) did you grow up having to know the state capitals? No. Okay, I was gonna say I, I didn't either. And I think that's to my detriment because I don't know where anything is.
1: I did have to grow up, have to grow up. I did grow up having to be able to write the name of a state in like a blank map. Um, We also did it for countries in Africa too, at my high school. So I may not be able to do it well now, but I have a general idea of where things are.
0: I've had to check multiple times just this week (laughs) to make sure I knew where Iowa was. (laughs) <laughs> and honestly, if, Shaki, if I'm being honest with you I'm still not sure I could put it on a map <laughs> I have it's no sense of Chicago. geography
1: It's not far from Chicago If you know where Chicago is in your mind
0: I do, I, I want. I got If it's a city, I'm, I'm better But okay, oh, yeah. oh, oh it's, man It's not yeah. super
1: far from here um, I, A friend of mine was going to visit Another friend And I drove him to the Illinois-Iowa border And the other friend picked him up and they continued on because that's how close it is
0: okay yeah that doesn't feel like it should be <laughs> accomplishable for me like in in, in my mind that's a, that's a nine hour drive each way
1: <laughs> no it's not far at all
0: yeah i i uh, I'm, I'm 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 not good at this but anyway so actually <laughs> speaking of growing the game because this is a thing that is uh currently happening I guess MLB has reportedly been in talk with Barstool Sports about allowing them letting them emboldening them to broadcast MLB games Mm -hmm. Uh, and that is a can of worms Uh, again I'm not sure what they're trying to accomplish with it in a meaningful way Obviously, in a pen-to-paper scenario, Barstool Sports has a broad base, I guess. No, not not broad. Uh, a large following, and MLB would like to absorb some portion of that.
1: But it mm-hmm. once again
0: feels like the worst way of accomplishing that because Barstool Sports is uh, cancer on society. Um, how did you How did you feel when when you saw this story come out? Well,
1: I haven't really had a take on it to be quite honest. I've been just watching mostly because MLB, apparently, at least the way it seems to me, they leaked that themselves, right? Like
0: get a feel for uh-huh. how public reaction
1: <laughs> and. I feel like you gotta know what the response is gonna be on that, but maybe, maybe, I don't know. It would be nice if they were definitely sticking their toe in the water and they were like, oh, actually everyone hates this, let's not. But um, I think it stinks, but I don't think it's out of character. Like, I think we have to remember to sort of level our expectations based on what we're looking at and we can demand more yes but they are who they are. And this is not, this is not out of character at all. This this fits. This this fits. And because and it's a common argument amongst the ownership water carriers, right? Is they're looking at it from a business perspective. Like, you know, Barstool is popular amongst young people and Barstool this. And I think what folks are missing is like, do you want that popularity are these the kind of people you want your brand to be named known for first of all but secondly the argument that there are good people at barstool is kind of moot simply Mm -hmm. because no matter how good they are all this other shit wasn't a deal breaker for them it wasn't a deal breaker they were not offended enough for, for my liking so um, I've seen people say if MOB goes ahead with the partnership, they were going to, you know, stop watching the sport. I think they're lying, but if they do more power to them, you know, um, it's just, I think it's a bad idea, but again, it's not out of character.
0: I, I, I take a special exception to the argument that it's on paper good for business and I feel that way because I can't imagine, it feels very retrospective, which again, fits for MLB, but just because something has grown X amount over X amount of years, doesn't mean it's going to continue doing that. And part of the reason why that would seem to apply here is I would imagine Barstool has grown as much as it's going to grow. Because I think at this point, if you're familiar with the brand, you're either totally cool with what they've got going on there, or you're reviled by it and don't find it compelling and don't find it interesting. Um, And again, they're bad and you would like to avoid being associated with a brand that does bad things and houses bad people. And I think the segment of the population that reflects those values is probably going to end up being a faster growing populace than the population of people who are all aboard the bar stool bandwagon and listen to all their podcasts and consume all their media or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's that future outlook that I think is again, very on brand for MLB, uh, but so much so to its detriment. It would be far more interesting if you actually lifted up voices that say something new and different and unique and have a perspective on the game that is both relevant to today and progressive than something that is as brutish and sophomoric as you could possibly, possibly achieve to be. You can't brute force yourself to We'll never growth.
1: know. We'll, we'll never know if their attempts are successful, really, because there's no transparency. You know, we don't know. We know what they tell us. So, like, they could go through with this situation with Barstool, and it could be really bad, but we would never know. And, you know, other than, like, Public reception we know about, and maybe if they lost a ton of money, but if but I don't think they would want to cop to making a mistake. Like, oh God, this no, is, Yeah, so we'll either way it goes, we'll never know whether it was successful or not.
0: Yeah, one of my one of my random notes here that I wrote down is that the commissioner's job should be progress because coming up with rule changes can be done by a survey monkey um, survey. Because I, I mean if you're not making ostensible, large sweeping changes and you're just sitting there making up rule changes <laughs> that people will either agree with or disagree with, then like, I, I mean, send out send out a fucking survey to everyone's inbox yeah. to see what they want to do. Like no one needs you, but, <laughs> but anyway. Uh, I don't want to hold up too much more of your time because you've already been okay. very generous with it, but I do have just a couple more questions for you. Because I'm curious, as a baseball history person and someone who's very active on Twitter about baseball, but I don't often see the sabermetric side of it. Where do you fall in your thinking about the numbers side of baseball? This has been, I think, a little bit more of a contentious topic as of late.
1: I don't. I don't like. I, I. I'm smart enough to understand, but I don't care enough about it. Like. I like the nuance of the sport. I like the narratives in the sport. It's baseball is a very story driven, you know, um, sport. I don't really care about the sabermetrics. I'll let everyone else deal with that. I will say I don't like that it is often used to determine that you know people of color are not smart enough for the game or don't know enough to do um, certain jobs managers you know gms and things like that but my for me personally i the strowman calculations is as deep as i've probably ever gotten into anything math related with baseball like just the honest to god truth i am so grateful for the stats folks at bp and (laughs) baseball reference and rotowire because i just use their numbers i look i check and see what's you know what matches or whatever i need and i use those but i don't know i think you can enjoy the game without it i think you can write the game without it i think the human element is still far more important than anything else and you can't math your way through that part of the game anyway you can obviously there's you know three true outcomes and all that but like there's still going to be something you didn't account for. And that's what I like, the humanity of it.
0: Uh, as as a math person, in my heart, um, I struggle to say too much more than in my heart because, well, I mean, we all have our shortcomings and I was minor in math and, oh boy, did that barely happen. Um, <laughs> I love the number side of it because I love numbers and I love seeing... Why that? How did that happen? If a home run got hit, I treat a lot of the, those stats as fun facts, and they can be useful if someone is overperforming or underperforming. Because you can say, well, because that was my big thing with Gary Sanchez with the past few years as a man who loves Gary Sanchez, that he was mm-hmm. hitting the shit out of the ball. It was just going to people, and he was getting unlucky. And it was very vindicating to have numbers to say that. But there's also got to be, I think, a level of understanding that they're not—they're so far from everything that basing your life around it and how you consume the game is wrong. Like uh, we can sit here and say Gleyber Torres this season, uh, Yankees fan, So I'm thinking of all Yankees. Uh, Gleyber Torres this season is hitting the ball very softly. Does that mean Gleyber Torres sucks? No. Soft contact's bad. Yeah. But what makes Gleyber Torres a good or a bad hitter is going to be what's going through his mind and the actual mechanics of what he's doing. And it's the mechanical part of it that we're just me anyway, a, a, a more casual in that I'm out, outside of the literal world of baseball uh, fan is never going to know. I'm not, I, I can't look at Glibert as a swing and say that's off balance. I have no fucking clue. And most people who are going to comment on Glibert Torres' stats this season have no fucking clue because we're, <laughs> we've never played baseball at that level. We've never coached mm-hmm. at that level. We've never been coached at that level. And so I can look at a man whose, you know, average exit velocity this season is like 86 or whatever, 84 and go like, oh, that's not good. Um, That doesn't mean he sucks though. He's, He's like a 24 year old kid who is doing something mechanically that is not allowing him to get to that point or having something go through his head. And that's never going to show up on a stats sheet. And that's the tough part about it. It's like the same thing for me with, One of the things that bothers me so much is the stolen base conversation. Because I think the idea that a 20% caught stealing rate is the worst thing ever is absolutely fucking stupid. And I think it is an insult to baseball players' intelligence. Because I think more so than being afraid of giving up outs, teams should be encouraging players to get a sense of when pitches are going to go in the dirt based on count and setup and teach them to run with a better efficiency on understanding the game and being fucking fast because a lot of players can do it and it can be a skill that you work on instead of saying you weren't quick enough or we're too afraid of you making an out we're not going to let you do it what's the, what's that getting you how on earth is is being on second with no outs, really that much worse than being bases empty, one out. If you can do it a significant portion of the time and you can teach that as a skill to your ball players, because I'm willing to bet a lot of those dudes are fucking smart as shit and can figure it out. Oh, that's the tough part for me. But, uh, all right, last, last, last question. And then I promise I'll let you go. Okay. <laughs> Where will the bears finish this season?
1: Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't have even a guess. Cause I haven't even thought about it to be quite honest. Um, I will say this. I don't think, I don't think they're at the bottom anymore. Um, I think. Dalton starts the season and Justin Fields is in by week three and I think we roll from there um like I'm a little nervous it's nice to be excited about the Bears for a change um I'm gonna make a bold prediction that the Bears do beat the Packers at least once this season okay you know I know uh Aaron Rodgers and uh, Devontae Adams have this whole like thing going the last dance. And I'm just like, fuck out of here with that shit. Like, you're not Jordan and Pippin. Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of here. The only team you beat is the Bears. Go away. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, I don't really know where they're going to finish. Like well, I said, boy- I was, they're not at the bottom this time, though.
0: What outcome, though, for the bear season would make you be like, all right, this was this was a good year?
1: Oh, I don't want to even do the typical Bears fan thing and go, well, you know, we finish. Well, there's an extra game this season, yeah, right? 17 there's game 17 season. games. So there's no going eight and eight. <laughs> <laughs> Over or under. That's out the window. Um, so I guess I'm going to go 10 games. They win 10. And I'm good. They win less than ten, I'm not happy.
0: I see. As as uh, as a Jets fan, my standards are so low. <laughs> my standards are so bottom barrel low. Uh, like genuinely, if they win six, I think I'm thrilled.
1: I can see that. I can see that. I I I've always been a, if the Bears go eight and eight, then it was a success. So I feel like I can't do that now. So I got to go ten.
0: Uh, I I don't think I can be happy until Belichick and Brady are both retired. And I know Brady's not in the division anymore. He's not in the the conference anymore. I know. I know. It still makes me annoyed that he's here. Um, and so I don't think I can, I can feel as though the jets have any ability to do anything until Belichick's out of new England and Brady's off the planet, uh, for multiple reasons, but you know, (laughs) uh, uh, but I'm Brady fan. So I'll leave it alone. You're a Brady fan. I said I am not oh, a
1: Tom okay, Brady okay. fan. Don't ever. Okay. <laughs> so I'm just going to leave that one alone is what I was saying. Because I never have anything nice to say about him.
0: No one should. I, um, I've i been hurt so much by him over the years, as uh, purely as a Jets fan, not even as a, <laughs> as a human being, that one year, <laughs> a few years ago, one of my friends got me tickets, uh, Jets Pats at MetLife, thinking I would like that. And I was furious. Oh. And I told Ooh. him, like, you are ruining. It was a Monday night football game. I was like, you are ruining oh. a Monday and a Tuesday for me. And, and you know what happened? Monday,
1: too, because you were anticipating that L.
0: You know what happened at that game? Jets lost by 30. Was never close. <laughs> oh, and I, uh, that that is, that is, um. I mean, it was the thought that counts, right? No, because you know what? That's thoughtless. (laughs) That's thoughtless. Don't spend money on me having a bad time. That's no, you should know. It's it's been 20 years at this point. You know what I'm getting out of that. Right.
1: Right. You're like, no, this isn't this isn't healthy. This isn't fun for me.
0: No, no. uh, get, Get us tickets against a bad team. Jeez, come on! Yeah, I don't want to see this. I mean, Guess takes against the Lions.
1: I'm definitely not mature enough to uh, go to a, a guaranteed loss. Like, just not mature enough. I'm a terrible. I'm not a bad sport externally, but internally, I'm a bad sport. Like, I don't, I don't act out or anything, but on the inside, I want to fight. I, so I would I, have been upset about that.
0: I just get very sad i i, I took my, my girlfriend with me she was very excited it was her first primetime game and i parked and like had to mentally prepare to get out of the car <laughs> <laughs> i've been hurt so much
1: poor thing <laughs>
0: uh anyway anyway uh this was this was really i have like literally uh, almost a half a page more questions but we've already been doing this for quite some time and I. i, yes. I I'm sorry for chewing up so much of your night, but I really appreciate okay. you spending the time here. It was so nice having you. Um, Thank
1: you for having me.
0: We're going to, of course, have to have you back when my co-host is here to also ask you questions. Um, okay. You'll like him. He's he's very quiet, but very tall, uh, <laughs> which never shows up on camera, but I just love saying it because uh, he is six foot eight <laughs> and it is very, very hard to miss him in stores. Um, okay. But I- uh, Shakia, where can where can people find you? Where can people find your, your, your latest works and where can people hear from you?
1: It just just everything is on Twitter, Curly Fro. I tweet the links or post the pods and anything else in between um, is, is always on my Twitter. Uh, for links to previous things that I've written is actually on hi Shakia.com
0: which I've been on a lot recently to (laughs) make sure I was current. Um, All right. Shakia Taylor, thank you so much for joining today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And welcome back. Thank you again to Shakia for coming on. I uh, was horribly nervous and I hope that did not come through. You guys missed at the beginning where I spent a long time complaining um, before the show, where we started recording about how my face looks now that I shaved. Um, which God, I'm looking at myself right now and I still just uh, God. but anyway, that's not neither here nor there. she, she was uh, just so much fun to talk to. I'm really really glad that uh, she agreed to come on and just appreciate the time. Uh, obviously, there's a whole bunch of other things that have been happening in the world of sports that we didn't touch on because, you know, this was an interview episode and there's other things happening in the world, but as per usual, I'd like to, for this to, you know, stand on its own and be its own thing. And holy shit, y'all just see that fucking lightning? Goddamn. Uh, anyway, um, so touch on other things later, especially when Corwin's actually here to, to get into a few of the, the things that um, have been happening in the world as of late, so Reasons to stay tuned for Monday's episode. But until then, you can follow the show on Twitter at JuicingPod. You can follow myself on Twitter at uh, Joshua D. Tracy. Totally just forgot my name for a second there. I'm used to Corwin saying Corwin's first, even though he's not here. But you can follow him at Corwin Heller. Um, they just sent emails to the show. You can use so at JuicingTheNumbers at gmail.com. And until Monday, y'all have a good